Michael Ray. No. Sign of the Times. Definitely not. The Batman soundtrack. Oh, Star Wars is it? Uh, no. Same coming. I like it. Ah. Oh. Sade. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Goat or Go, a comprehensive look into the 2020 Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. I am, of course, your host, Wendy Kay. Today, dear listeners, we're going to be taking a look at number 498. And currently, in that spot in 2020, is the album titled Suicide by the band Suicide from 1977. Rolling Stone had this to say about Suicide. These New York synth punks evoked everything from the Velvet Underground to rockabilly. Martin Rev's low-budget electronics are violent and hypnotic. Alan Vegas screams as a rhythmic device. Late night listening to Frankie Teardrop, a 10-minute-plus tale of a multiple murder, is not recommended. A droning voice in the wilderness when they appeared in the 70s, the duo would influence bands from Arcade Fire and The National to Bruce Springsteen, who covered Suicide Live in 2016. So, I have never heard of Suicide. And I am very unfamiliar with their work. So it kind of was very surprising to come across this album. I should say that this album is also listed at number 441 in 2012 and at 446 in 2003. This album is very interesting. I could say that about a lot of different albums. I can see how influential Suicide is was, and will continue to be. My first initial thought about this is, this sounds like it was a building block for emo in the early 2000s. The synth music that they created is very droning, and it doesn't really change a whole much during the entire song. The lyrics are very simple, they're very repetitive, so you can basically get the entire story or whatever the singer is trying to say pretty quickly. The songs themselves, while simple, I wouldn't say that they are simple. I'd say that they bring up a lot of very complicated emotions uh, when it comes to it. One of the first songs in the album is titled Ghost Rider, and one of the lyrics that Alan Vega keeps singing over and over again is he's screaming the truth America is killing its youth. And I'm sure in 1977, that was a very unusual thing to hear, especially from 70s rockers. And I'm not sure how much of a punk scene there was in the 70s. Side note, if you want to dive more into the birth of grunge music and want to know a little bit more about what punk kind of sounded in the 90s, there's this great book called Girls to the Front, which talks about the Riot Girls. I just finished recently reading that, and I'm surprised that this was the first time I've ever heard of them. And I would suggest knowing a little bit more about grunge music and its origins in the Washington State area, especially in Olympia and Seattle. Anyway, back to this. I can understand what suicide was not a popular band, to say the least. But besides the Ghost Rider song, 
The other song that kind of bizarre and a little out of left field was the song Girl. And throughout the song, the singer keeps saying, oh girl, you turn me on, touch me soft, and making a lot of sex noises. I'm trying to think of a way to say this. It's interesting in a song to hear a man talking about a woman pleasuring him sexually, but doing it in such a way that isn't like dominating the girl. Like she's the one that's kind of taking charge of the relationship or she's the one that's taking charge of the actions done to him. And he doesn't want to be rough with her. Like he wants to have gentle sex which kind of gives an interesting juxtaposition to the other content that Suicide sings about. It's very interesting. I wouldn't say that they're dominant of their partner, but they're very straightforward with what they want, and they're going to get it. I will say the pinnacle of this album is the song Frankie Teardrop. For a majority of the album, I was kind of waiting for this big, theatrical kind of sound to them. I was associating a lot of the sound that I associate with 30 Seconds to Mars and My Chemical Romance in that they have a lot of songs that are just very big and very emotional and just like, ah in your face screaming and it's very interesting to have a band called suicide that doesn't really go there initially except for in frankie teardrop and i'm gonna be straight up with you this song is a brutal song to get through the story of frankie teardrop is an interesting one so frankie teardrop the character is a 20 year old who is married and has a kid, working at a factory, working a lot and trying to survive, but he is going to be evicted. He can't feed his family. He is down on his luck. And so he kills his wife. First, he kills his kid, his six-month-old kid. Then he kills his wife. And then he kills himself. And we, as the audience, are then transported into hell with Frankie Teardrop the final lines of the song are, we are all Frankies, we are all in hell. And Frankie Teardrop then transitions into the song called Shay. I don't know if it's about that Shay, but it's about Shay. And I think that for the rest of the album, we are stuck in hell with Frankie. But... As Alan Vega is telling us, we are all Frankies and we are in hell. This song is going to sit with me for a little bit longer and I want to figure out what exactly it kind of means to be Frankies. Being a part of the machine, being a part of, you know, this capitalist society, working a job that is trying to make you money, but you cannot support your family and so you turned to very desperate means. But I think what's sad is it's like Frankie isn't a terrible person other than, you know, the whole murder thing. Because when you have run out of options and when you are losing 
everything around you. You are bringing all that pain and misery to not only yourself, but also to your family. Is it a mercy to kill your family members and to spare them the tragedy of this horrible existence? But in killing himself, and as the singer tells us, he doesn't escape hell. Hell is the world that we currently live in, and we are stuck perpetually in this cycle, trying to make our way in this world and being beat down. No matter how hard we try, the system is going to win, and hell is going to take over. So those are... <laughs> so that got very dark. So this album, it took a turn with Frankie Teardrop. And I'm gonna have to sit with this album. I look forward to revisiting this album again in the upcoming episodes. Because I know that this is gonna pick apart at my brain a little bit. This is also a very short album. It is under 35 minutes long. Other than Frankie Teardrop, I think each song is probably less than 5 minutes. So... Would I recommend this album? Um, other than Frankie, I would uh, recommend this album as a way of understanding the evolution of punk music into emo. I think this is on par with emo music from the 2000s, so I would say this would give somebody like a good backstory about like where this kind of came from. Where did these feelings come from? And why are we angry all the time? But as we all know, I had two more albums to listen to. And so, in the 2012 updated Rolling Stone list, there was the Stone Roses 1989 self-titled album, The Stone Roses. Uh, this album also pops up again at number 319 in 2020. I don't know anything about the Stone Roses. Here's what Rolling Stone had to say about them. For a few glorious moments, the Stone Roses looked like they might lead another British invasion. Instead, they fell apart. But first, they made this incredible album, highlighted by the ecstatic eight-minute-long I Am the Resurrection. It single-handedly launched 90s Britpop. So I have no relationship to the Stone Roses, obviously because of how short their time as a band was. I feel like they might have been lost in the shuffle compared to other bands from the 80s, especially I got very big Journey vibes from these guys. Take with that what you will. It reminds me of Death Cab for Cutie or the world's greatest cover band of all time, Weezer. I can see this album being used as a foundation for more experimental slash maybe indie rock. Especially the song Don't Stop with its uh, rewinding lyrics. I could see Death Cab for Cutie doing a cover of this song. And that would be okay. It's not a, it's not a bad song. This album is also long. This is a long album. It's almost an hour long. And it could have ended with the song, This Is The One. I don't know any of the other lyrics to This Is The One, but I like to imagine that you're at a Stone Roses concert 
and you've been waiting for, you know, that one song you waited through their entire set for, they're coming back, they're doing the encore, and they're doing it, and you're so excited, and it's called This Is The One. It's a great album closer. It's how I think they were going to end a show if I had to go see them live. But this song is not the album closer. The album closer is two unbelievably long songs that are really not necessary. And one of them is the song that Rolling Stone mentioned, I Am The Resurrection. This song switches halfway through into something completely different. It sounds like a song that could have been a jam session, and I'm not entirely sure if the Stone Roses wanted to be a jam session band, but it loses its momentum when it switches halfway through. The other really long song that they have at the end of the album is called Fool's Gold, and it sounds very different from the rest of the album with its predominant beat behind it. It's... I wouldn't say it's a good song. It is very long, and most of the time I was waiting for it to end. Again, if this band wanted to be more like a jam session, like how The Grateful Dead is, or Fish, or recently Vampire Weekend, I can understand that, but for the most part, this band sounds like a 1980s stadium rock band. They're not a jam session band. They don't really mix well together. Another song I was a little put off by on this album is... Actually, I just have a question about one of the lyrics for... This song called Waterfall, and for some reason, they decide to compare a woman to a waterfall. I have no idea what the fuck that means, and I'm not very interested to find out what a woman and a waterfall have in common. All I know is that you're not supposed to go chasing waterfalls. We're supposed to stick to the rivers and lakes like we're used to. The other song that I was immediately taken aback by on this album, and it's the shortest one on this list, is called Elizabeth My Dear. Elizabeth My Dear is just Scarborough Fair. If you haven't heard Scarborough Fair, I would take a pause for a second and look up Simon and Garfunkel's version of Scarborough Fair, or, you know, anybody who's ever had any form of United Kingdom blood in them. Everyone knows what Scarborough Fair is. And so this song, Elizabeth My Dear... It is short, but the tune is just so familiar, and the lyrics are forgettable. Um, and the song Scarborough Fair is actually way more interesting than Elizabeth, my dear. So, in comparison of both self-entitled albums, I would say that while the Stone Roses may have been instrumental to 2000s pop, or to 90s, 2000s, pop, rock, whatever Death Cab for Cutie wants to call themselves, it's still suicide. Suicide is still winning this battle. And finally, the last album that I want to talk about today is called Tres Hombres by ZZ Top from 1973. Now, 
This album also shows up again at number 490 in 2012. ZZ Top also has another album called Eliminator that is all over the place. It is at number 398 in 2012 and at number 396 in 2003. The first thing that I get from ZZ Top is I've actually heard them before. I've heard the song Lagrange. That opening riff is very hard to forget and get out of your head. Once you've heard that song, that's all you need to love ZZ Top until proven otherwise or until I've listened to Eliminator. But for right now, if you had to listen to a ZZ Top song, Lagrange is a great song. It showcases their early blues influence. While it's nice to have a band such as ZZ Top be influenced by the blues and have their own spin on it, I'm not quite sure how well they succeed in that sound. I don't know what their sound evolves to. Because this album is, it's mostly a blues album, but I don't know if they're cool enough to do it. (laughs) Especially you can hear how influential the blues is on the song Jesus Just Love Chicago. It's a fine enough song, but it doesn't really stand out to me a whole lot. This album, Trace Ombres, it kind of feels like this album happened. ZZ Top, like, showed up, did their thing, and then they left respectfully. I'm not get. I don't have a lasting impression of them. Like, I wasn't blown away by their work. And if it wasn't for the live concert versions at the end of this remastered version that I heard, this is an okay album, you know. The only other song that I really... I was like, this is fun, is called Master of Spark, because it starts off with a really funky beat. It's really fun. If you have a chance, I would listen to that. But for the most part, like, the more interesting and the more memorable song is Lagrange. I've definitely heard this on 80s rock stations before. Also, on a completely different note, if anybody has ever heard the song Are You Gonna Be My Girl by Jet, are they copying Lagrange? At least for a little bit of it, at least the beginning part of it, they sound very similar to each other, but I will say Jet does do something different with their sound and, you know, change up their keys to not make it sound quite as influenced. But when I first heard Lagrange, I was like, wait a second, this sounds like Are You Gonna Be My Girl? So, who knows? I can understand why people might like ZZ Top. I think that they bridge that blues origin with modern rock. Like, people really liked them. Obviously, because they have live concert versions of Jesus Just Left Chicago and Waiting for the Bus. As I'm going through this list with you, dear listeners, I wonder what the lasting power of ZZ Top is as a band and as a musical influence. Because clearly, like, they take their influence from blues, but I don't know if they also are influencers themselves, you know? Like, whereas with Suicide, 
I can understand that being a very influential band. And even the Stone Roses, like, I can see it being the origins of a bunch of different bands. But with ZZ Top, I would say they are being influenced. But I'm not sure what their lasting power is. So, anyway, if I had to pick an album that would be considered the greatest of all time and would fit this spot, I have to give it to Suicide. Suicide by Suicide, I think, because of how old this album is, it's from, it's from 1977, and the fact that it builds and has been so influential to other bands and to genres that I have known for a lot of my life, I would say that this is definitely an album that has a lasting power that Maybe the Stone Rose and ZZ Top don't have. So, thank you so much for coming along this musical journey with me. I know it was very rambly at times. Um, and I'll see you all next week. So, DJ, drop that track. Goat or Go is a podcast created and hosted by me, Wendy K. I also edit the podcast. Original artwork is by Paige A. Special thanks to the entire Rolling Stone magazine writing team. Without you, there wouldn't be this podcast. Follow the podcast on social media, Goat or Go Pod. If you want to support the show on Patreon, link is in the show notes. Thank you so much, music lovers. Keep on listening, and I'll see you next week.